If you take your Bibles and turn to Daniel 5, Daniel 5. Pastor, I didn't know that um, Brother Pelletier was going to be here tonight, and um, now you have top guns, and now you've made me really nervous. So, <laughs> Daniel 5. Today we celebrate Independence Day, as we call it. It's the 245th anniversary of our nation's independence. And it was declared by 56 signers of that document that we actually call the Declaration of Independence. While you're turning in your Bibles to Daniel 5, I just want to give you a kind of uh, some, some interesting facts about the Declaration of Independence. In 1776, a, um, a copy of the Declaration, um, it took actually a, Jan a July 9th for a copy of that Declaration actually to get to New York City. Now, New York City, at that point in time, the British naval ships had completely occupied uh, the harbor there in New York. And George Washington, he got up as a commander of the Continental Forces of New York, and he read the document of the Declaration of Independence aloud in front of the City Hall. And when that happened, a crowd just broke out with cheers. And as the, as the crowd broke out, they went to a statue of George III, and they proceeded and tore down his statue. And a, a number of weeks later, that statue was actually used uh, to be melted down, and it was actually shaped into more than 42,000 musket balls that were actually used for the Continental Army. There's another um, fact that's interesting, that the Declaration of Independence, you think that a bunch of old people signed it. But actually, Benjamin Franklin was 70 years old. He was one of the oldest signers of the Declaration, and one of the youngest signers was 26 years old. And he was an attorney. He was a lawyer from South Carolina. He was only 26 years old at the time that he signed that Declaration. And then another interesting fact that um, during World War II, the Declaration of Independence uh, was very quickly, um, in fact, after Pearl, the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, within just a couple weeks after that bombing, bombing of Pearl Harbor, the Declaration of Independence was on public display. It was taken off of public display in Washington, D.C., and by Secret Service agents, they took that document, they packed it in lead. Now, I'm not really quite sure why they packed it in lead. Um, the actual container was in excess of 120 pounds. They whisked it away to, um, to um, Kentucky, where that, um, they actually, um, the Secret Service met um, military, a, cal a cavalry troop in Louisville, Kentucky, and they took that document and they proceeded to take it to Fort Knox, and they uh, kept it in Fort Knox during the war. Another interesting thing, and you've heard this, I know that uh, many people have, have questioned this because of some, a movie that came out years ago, but the original doc, uh, Declaration of Independence document, on the back, upside down on that document, this is, it was something that was written in handwriting, this is what it says. Original Declaration of Independence dated the 4th of July, 1776. Now, nobody knows exactly why that was done on the, on the back of the, the original document, but what it was thought that during the Revolutionary War, 
they would take that document and they would, would hide it. They were protecting that document at all costs. And because of that, they would take the parchment paper and they would roll it up. And by rolling it up, you, if you had dozens of different pieces of parchment paper, you would know what was contained in that parchment. So what they saw in that was they, it was written upside down on the outside of the parchment paper that identified what that document was. If you um, have found your place in Daniel 5, in Daniel 5, if you please stand for the reading of God's word. It's going to be a little bit lengthy, but um, out of just respect for God's word, let's stand. Daniel 5, starting in verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he, he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the, the golden and silver vessels which was his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princess, his wives, his concubines, might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princess, his wives, his concubines, drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over, the, over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried out with... Um, cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor made known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astoned. Now let's jump down to uh, verse 17, to verse 17. This is what it says. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he, he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would be, and whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and he took his glory from him and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and the and the appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, 
hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knowest, knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and have praised the gods of silver and of gold and of brass, of iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in those in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hath not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this was a writing that was written. Many, many tickle Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. And Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a gold chain upon his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for allowing our nation, Lord, to exist this 245 years. Lord, I thank you for um, your word. I thank you, Lord, for how it is relevant today as it was, Lord, at the beginning of time. Lord, I pray that um, you will use this vessel. Lord, I pray that um, you will set me aside, Lord, and uh, use this uh, to magnify your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. may be seated. America's founders declared that our republic and its constitution were established by the hand of the Almighty God. They emphasized that he will continue to bless our land only if a moral and religious people who govern ourselves by the inspired principles of liberty and union. America became the first experiment in the world that the government was ruled by the people. The people could rule themselves only if they were a moral people. You see, from the beginning of time, there was a hierarchy of God, the government, and the people, or God, the king, and the people. Our nation was the first nation in the history of mankind that took God and put God on top, and then they put the people and then they put the government under that. See, it all began when 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence attached their signatures to that document. It was a document that was the beginning of that great experiment in self-governance that would give freedom, it would give liberty, and give the right to even be in the place that we are tonight and have the freedom to worship Almighty God openly. But each of those signers knew that if they were caught and captured, that they were risking torture and even death by putting their signature on that document. Our founding fathers valued freedom for themselves and their posterity. 
and they knew the risk, but they believed that the risk was worth the freedom. Five of those signers were captured by the British and brutally tortured as traitors. Nine of them fought in the War of Independence and they died from wounds or from hardships that they had suffered. Two of them had lost their sons in the Continental Army. Another two had sons that were captured and tortured. At least a dozen of the 56 had their homes pillaged and burned. Many of them lost their families. Many of them, their families were taken as prisoners. And many of those family members were tortured and murdered. What kind of men do you think these people were? Many times we think of these signers as, as a bunch of rebel rousers, a bunch of people that, that um, had nothing to lose except fighting for freedom. But you see, 25 of those people were lawyers, or they were jurists. 11 of them were merchants, 9 of them were farmers, one of them was a teacher, Brother Kevin, one of them was a musician, one of them was a printer. Several were members of the clergy. Some of them were actually pastors of churches. You see, these men were means, men of means of education. Yet they signed that Declaration of Independence knowing full and well that the penalty of signing that document could mean death if they were captured. You see, these people were not a bunch of uneducated rebels. Many of them were soft, spoken men, men of education, but they had security. Many of them had security. They had money. They valued liberty more. Standing tall and straight, they unwavering pledged, and I quote, for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Today is a fourth, July 4th. It's a day that we celebrate our nation's independence. The United States of America has been the most prosperous country that the world has ever seen. But I never want to miss an opportunity to establish that the principles of this constitutional republic were indeed founded on the word of God. Brother Terry very eloquently took half of my sermon tonight. And for your sakes, that might be a good thing because of the time. But time and time again, our founding fathers gave the word, quoted the word of God in the decisions when they made those decisions. Those people that we have been told by the world that were a bunch of deists, people like Thomas Jefferson, um, comments that Thomas Jefferson wrote or um, um, used the Koran, read the Koran. Absolutely, he did read the Koran because he was trying to figure out what the enemies were trying to do to him. He didn't understand. And when he wrote, read that Koran, then he totally understood. But Thomas Jefferson, um, there's a Bible called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And people would say that that Bible was, was written in a way, or he wrote that Bible in a way, that he took out what he didn't like about the Word of God. But it was not the case at all. Thomas Jefferson wrote that as a devotional. 
He wrote an entire devotional, and he took out all the verses of the miracles of Jesus and put them in that devotional. You know what kind of time that took to do that? To write a devotional that thick? How much time do we spend in the Word of God? But people have the right to call Thomas Jefferson a deist? You see, of the 56 men that, wrote, that signed that Declaration of Independence, nearly half of them held seminary degrees or Bible school degrees from places such as Harvard, which was a Christian college. Yale University was a Christian college. And many of them held divinity degrees on top of their law degrees and other degrees that they, they had. You see, these founding fathers gave many, many quotes on religion. And I'm not going to go into a lot of it tonight just for time's sake. But that belief in the creator Jehovah God, that belief and the belief in the word of God helped form the foundations of our nation and of our government. And I want to go on tonight about, about um, I'm going to get back to our chapter here in just a minute. But our founding fathers put together a document that was a rule of law for this nation. See, we do live in a constitutional republic. We do not live in a pure democracy. And many times and times again, I hear people say that. I hear news people say that. Democracy, democracy, democracy. We do not live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Our founding fathers put together a constitution, and in that constitution was a group of laws that could not be usurped by the state, by local government, by Congress, by the president, and by the Supreme Court. They were to interpret that law. Over the period of time, Christians have removed themselves from civic duties of self-government. And as, as a result, we have allowed the ungodly to take our God-given place within our government. We have allowed the ungodly to rewrite history, which has become the new standard in public schools and textbooks across our nation. It's become commonplace to say that our founding fathers were, like they called Thomas Jefferson, deists, agnostics, and atheists. Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness before light and light before darkness, that put bitter before sweet and sweet for bitter. Today, many of our politicians, that, um, that the people have voted into office have turned the morals of our nation upside down. America, indeed, is in trouble. Every foundational principle that our founding fathers put in place is now becoming bankrupt. And going back, I want to um, give you three, uh, three points tonight about our verse tonight. And I want to, I want to start in, in this. Belshazzar, he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Kind of give you some, some history on this. Nebuchadnezzar was actually the king of Babylon. Um, and, and Nebuchadnezzar was responsible, Babylon was responsible for destroying 
Jerusalem. It was around 526 BC um, is what, what history would tell us. Nebuchadnezzar, when he went to uh, Jerusalem, he went to the temple and he looted all of the vessels, everything out of the temple during that period of time. And he brought them all back to Babylon. In, in, in addition to that, he also uh, took prisoners. He took young men and he took them back to Bab Babylon. Daniel was actually one of those that he did that. Well, God is a God of love. God is also the God of righteousness. God is also the God of justice. Tonight, I'm very, very, very quickly, because of time's sake, I'm going to give you three points of why God poured out his wrath on Belshazzar. And I'm going to contrast that with America tonight. First point I want to make tonight is this. Belshazzar defied, defied the vessels that belong to God. First, Belshazzar, he defied the vessels that belong to God. So basically, as we read this passage, Belshazzar decides to have a party. It's party time in Babylon. And what Belshazzar did is he called in all of his, all of his, um, his lords, thousand, it says, of his lords. And they began to drink wine before this thousands of people. And I would tell you tonight that the wine that they were drinking, if you actually go back to the original, um, the original text of this, it wasn't grape juice. It was alcohol. In 5.1 it says this, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while whiles he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princess, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princess, his wives and his concubines drank in them. Tonight, churches in America have defiled the vessels that belong to God Almighty. The churches have turned their church, holy, holy places of worship, into entertainment centers. Not for the worship of the Creator, but the worship of man. Romans 1.25 says this, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator? Tonight I would say this, America is in trouble because our churches are in trouble. When the bases of morality have left America, America cannot stand any longer. And secondly, tonight, I would bring out this. Secondly, Belshazzar took the glory of God and instead gave it to wealth. Instead of worshiping the Creator, he worshiped what the Creator supplied. In verse 4, it says this, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. 
Tonight I would say this to America. America has turned its back on God because we have completely removed God from every aspect of our nation. America is the wealthiest nation on earth. And America worships its wealth instead of our God. We have forgotten God. We have no idea anymore where that wealth came from. And it was because of God Almighty, the grace of God Almighty, and the providence of God Almighty, that America is wealthy. God is no longer the one who gives our very breath, much less than blessed this nation so abundantly. To a level that no other nation on this planet is as rich and as wealthy as America. But see, America no longer believes that they need God. And as you see in every aspect of our nation, you cannot turn on the TV. You cannot go anywhere in public. God's name is profaned, is blasphemed, and we take it as normal. The church takes it as normal. The third thing I would, I would point out about Belshazzar is he refused to humble his heart toward God. In verse 22 it says this, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, though thou knowest all of this. And what Daniel was talking about is he, he was talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He knew about his dad. He talked about, he, and he knew exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar did not give the glory to God. He knew all that. And Daniel in, in, in 23 says this, But has lifted thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and of gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Tonight, I would say in America that we have taken the glory of God and we have transferred that glory to man. I cannot find any place in the Bible every single time that man attempts to take God's glory. Every single time God destroys that person or that nation. Every single time. In fact, if you think about Herod in the New Testament, when Herod started taking God's glory, God had just executed. He had John the Baptist killed. He just had another apostle killed. But when he took God's glory, God took him out. The moment he took God's glory, God took him out. In fact, if you look at the apostles when they were performing many miracles, people would start uh, trying to say, oh, you're a god. They tried to make them god. They immediately took that and said, no, that is Jehovah God. 
America has taken God's glory. And when God sees that his glory is taken, he will destroy a person or he will destroy a nation. And fourthly, we see this. I said three points. I'm going to give four. God's judgment falls. And we see that. In verse 24, we, look at, we see this. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and his writing was written. And this was the writing that was written. Many, many tickle you farson. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. And Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and, Persian, and Persians. In Psalms 11.3 it says this, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Tonight I see America flipping their nose in the face of a holy God. I see many of our Congress, I see many of our senators flipping their nose in the face of a holy God. How can decisions made that are decisions that are made that are, are so unbelievably ungodly, as Brother Lloyd mentioned, as they're sitting in places that God's word is everywhere? How can they do that? How can they do that? But see, the people are in charge of their government. It is our responsibility to hold our elected officials accountable. It's the church's job because that is the only place of morality that's left in our nation. And what are we doing about that? Every single case in God's word, when the glory of God is taken, God destroys them. America is being weighed in the balances tonight. Until a holy God, I suspect America will be found wanting. God's grace will end at some point, and he will have numbered America and will finish it. The question tonight I would ask is this. If the people rule over their government, what are God's people doing? Depending on the, on the, on the um, poll that you read, Somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of Americans say they're Christian. Now, obviously, we don't really know what that means, nor I don't think many people that think they're a Christian knows really indeed what that means. But if that is indeed even close to being the case, why aren't we living by biblical principles? Why aren't we holding our elected officials responsible for the decisions that they're making? 1 Peter 4, 17 says this, For the time has come that the judgment must begin in the house of God. There's a spiritual war going on in America. And we are at the brink of losing our nation forever. The battle lines are drawn, and we must not retreat. The church's time is to hold the line. It's the time is now. The time is now. The time is actually, was actually nearly 100 years ago. But if we don't hold the line now, we will lose this nation. 
And I want to mention something that, um, that I've, I've, I've given a message about America, but I want to kind of bring this back to a personal relationship with Christ. You know, 80-some percent of Americans say that they're, they're Christian. They identify with being Christian. But I would, I would say this. If 85% of Americans are Christian, then why aren't we no longer a Christian nation? If that's really true. What, what, what's going on there? And I look at Belshazzar and I see what happened there. And I would ask us individually tonight, I would ask this question. If you don't have a relationship, it's a personal relationship, it's not I identify with Christianity. I mean, I can identify with a Corvette. It doesn't mean I have one or I am one. But I would ask this. At some point in your life, God is going to find you wanting. There's a point in time in your life that you, God is going to be done with you. The grace is going to be over. Some point, that's going to happen to every one of us. And it could, call, it could, be, in, it could be in death. Nobody knows. Nobody knows when life is going to be taken from us. Uh, I, I, think of, uh, I think of Brother Sheffield, Pastor, who it's, about, it's a little over a year anniversary that he passed away. Jerry Sheffield was in my office one, two times a week, and he'd, he'd steal my coffee. Every, every one or two times a week, he'd steal my coffee. I mean, just, just loved, loved the fellowship with that man. And I was in shock. I was in shock the day that he passed away. Uh, I'll never forget that day. Anne remembers my wife. Never forget that day. And I thought, Lord, you can't, you can't take him now. We need him. You, you can't do that. There's a point in time. It's a point in a man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. And my question tonight is, do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Can you say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if I was to die today, I know exactly where I would be going? Because you're going to live forever somewhere and sometime. And for the church, I would say this. Our nation is in trouble. Revival can start here. It can start in Ocala, Florida. 56 signers changed the world. 56 signers. A lot of the public wasn't for this. It has been estimated that around 70% of the public was not supporting those 56 signers. And what I'm saying is God just needs us. He used 12 people to change the world. Twelve disciples. It doesn't take much. Let's pray.